0: CHAPTER FIVE OF JIMMY DALE AND THE PHANTOM CLUE BY FRANK L. PACKARD. THIS LibriVox RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. RECORDING BY ANNA SIMON MOTHER Margot. No challenge questioned Jimmy Dale's entry. There was only the strident voice of Little Sweeney from the rear room. The shop itself, as he had expected, was not the vantage point chosen by either of Little Sweeney's two confederates. Jimmy Dale stole forward to the rear of the shop, where through an open door there showed a glimmer of light, which, though it seemed to be strangely obstructed, evidently came from some sort of passage that connected the living quarters of the house with the shop, and here, slipping in behind the single counter that the shop boasted, he listened. Little Sweeney was still bawling at the top of his voice. "'I've been thinking it over for the last few days,' said little sweeney please speak a little louder mrs kenzie's voice came plaintively through the darkness damn it said little sweeney in low and fervent tones and then in a veritable yell i said i'd been thinking it over thinking it over our little talk you know of a few days ago about buying out your confectionery business. I promised to come back and let you know what I was going to do about it. Yes, said Mrs. Kinsey. Well, shouted little Sweeney, I've decided to take a chance and buy it, and I've brought you a hundred dollars to bind the bargain but i couldn't think of selling it for a hundred dollars protested mrs kinsey feebly not selling it just to bind the bargain screamed little sweeney i'll give you the rest of the thousand when we sign the papers would you please speak a little louder said mrs kinsey anxiously sometimes my hearing ain't quite so good as it used to be i'll keep your secret gritted little sweeney in a hoarse whisper then full-longed again here's a hundred-dollar bill you don't even need to give me any receipt for it i'll come across with the rest before the week's out it's just to show that i'm in earnest and to keep anybody else from buying the business i don't think anybody else would buy it said the old lady ingeniously you've said a mouthful was little sweeney's sotto voce retort but i'm so glad said mrs kinsey wistfully i'll be so glad because i can't move around as spry as once i could and i was afraid i i wouldn't be able to go on with it much longer that's all right mrs kinsey bellowed little sweeney cordially i guess we're both satisfied with our bargain here's the money and i guess i'll be moving along i'll see you again in a day or so with the papers thank you very much indeed said mrs kinsey earnestly and i do so hope that you'll do well with it and that you won't lose anything a chair scraped footsteps came from the back passageway which as jimmie dale crouched lower behind the counter suddenly grew light a moment more and little sweeney stepped into the shop making for the front door behind him followed mrs kinsey carrying in one hand a lamp and clutched in the other her ear-trumpet and a hundred-dollar bill jimmie dale's lips set grimly back in the corridor that was now darkened again he thought he saw a shadow move he distinctly caught the sound of a footstep. The downstairs watcher and Mrs. Kinsey's hundred-dollar bill. It was quite clear now, the whole mean, sordid, contemptible business. The bait was cunning enough in a low, vicious way. Amply cunning enough to succeed with a trusting, simple old woman already on the verge of her dotage. Where Mrs. Kinsey, who distrusted banks, had secreted her savings of years, she would secrete a hundred-dollar bill. Little Sweeney, in lieu, no doubt, of shouting on the street, bowed himself out politely. "'Good-night,' said Mrs. Kinsey, "'and thank you again.' She closed and locked the door, and came back through the shop, passing again into the rear hallway. As the light receded, Jimmy Dale rose cautiously. Mrs. Kinsey's lamp, as she had passed, disclosed the fact that just beyond the rear door of the shop the passageway made a jut at right angles. He nodded tersely to himself as he gained this with a trained step, so silent as to be almost uncanny, that had mocked at even the creaky boards of the old sanctuary. And, in the shadows himself now, he peered along the hallway proper. Steep, narrow stairs to the left and a little way down the hall led to the upper story. Mrs. Kinsey, still carrying her lamp, still clutching at her ear-trumpet and the hundred-dollar bill, was already near the top. The lower portion of the stairs and the hall itself, since her body shaded the lamp, were in almost complete darkness. And then, from somewhere above, there came a sharp, whispered interrogation. Well? From along the lower hall, her figure shrouded in the blackness, a woman's voice answered. She's still got it. Watcher! Mother Margot! Limpy Mac. then, was the upstairs-watcher. There seemed something incongruous in this passage of words between the two, like a stage aside that was not supposed to be heard by the intervening figure of the old woman who was climbing the stairs. But it was not the incongruity in itself. It was the callous brutality, the vulture-like preying upon helpless infirmity, that hardened Jimmy Dale's face now in a sort of merciless intentness. Mrs. Kinsey's light disappeared around the landing at the head of the stairs, and then, contemptuous of any exaggerated attempt at silence, another footstep sounded on the stair treads. Jimmy Dale could not see. It was pitch black in the lower hall now, but it was not necessary to see the obvious. Mother Margot was following Mrs. Kinsey upstairs. And now there came the sound as of someone walking about in a room overhead for a moment or so. And then silence. Jimmy Dale moved toward the stairs, and without a sound began to make his way upward. Halfway up, he paused and stood tight-pressed against the wall. He could just detect a glow of light filtering into the upper hallway, as though the door of a lighted room, almost directly above his head, stood open into the hall. Then a footstep, and still another, starting from a position further back along the wall, moved toward the lighted doorway. Came then the sound as of a piece of furniture being moved on squeaky casters, and then a low-breathed, exultant oath in a man's voice, followed by a woman's vicious chuckle. He could almost discern the outlines of two figures there, Mother Margot and Limpy Mac. "'Pipe the lay!' chuckled Mother Margot. "'There goes little Sweeney's sentry-buck!' Look at her salt in it. Close your trap, ordered Limpy Mac sharply. Maybe she can't hear, but that's no reason for taking a chance of spilling the beans now we know where they are. Ah forget it. Youse give me a pain, retorted Mother Margot acidly, but in a nevertheless more subdued tone. "Yews'd have to write her a letter to tell her youse was making a noise before she'd be wise to it, and maybe then she wouldn't believe you's "'Shut your face,' said Limpy Mac tersely. The sound of what had seemed to Jimmy Dale like squeaky casters came again. Then a footstep traversed the lighted room. A door, obviously one connecting with an adjoining room, opened and closed again, and the light was gone. "'Come on,' prompted Mother Margot's voice. "'That's her bedroom she's gone into. It's all clear now. What are waiting for?' "'I'm waiting till the old bird's tucked away in bed,' Limpy Mac's voice answered out of the darkness. "'I'm waiting till there isn't any chance of her moseying out for anything just as we're tapping the crib. I haven't noticed that there was anything the matter with her eyes, and she's not so dumb but that she might start something in the neighborhood. I don't play the fool when I can play safe.' "'Safe?' echoed Mother Margot sarcastically. "'What's safer than this the way it is now? I want to get home.' youse ought to go down to an antique dump and buy yourself a suit of armor and walk around in that youse'd look fine and you would always be safe the pip that's what i'm contracting from yours there was no answer mother margot grunted contemptuously and relapsed into silence the minutes passed there was utter silence now in the house save for an occasional uneasy movement of one or other of the two watchers in the hall above jimmie dale's head Jimmy Dale stood in grim patience, close against the wall, still on the stairs, an integral part of the shadows around him. The time dragged interminably, the minutes seeming to expand into endless hours. And then, suddenly, Limpy Mac's voice broke the silence in a tense undertone. All right, her light's out. Come on. There came then the sound of footsteps receding from the hall, and Jimmy Dale in an instant silently gained the head of the stairs, and lay there crouched, half on the landing and half on the topmost treads. From his position, slightly diagonal though it was, from where he had placed the door, he had calculated he would be able to see clearly enough into the room that Mother Margot and her companion had obviously just entered. He nodded now in quick self-corroboration. Out of the darkness of the room, lancing it in a little white shaft of light, there came the ray of an electric torch and two figures were outlined as they bent over a piece of furniture that stood against the far wall, and that looked like an old chest of drawers. But there was no squeak of casters now. Jimmy Dale smiled uninvitingly. They were becoming unduly cautious. The piece of furniture was being lifted, not rolled, until it stood out from the wall, the back of it exposed. For a moment the two figures leaned over it. The flashlight playing on the back of the dresser. And then, from its extreme edge, what looked like a very narrow drawer, its depth, almost half of the dresser itself, was pulled out. "'Help me!' Mother Margot's voice quivered in curious, sibilant excitement. Say the old skirt's rich!' "'Was,' corrected Limpy Mac's voice, curtly. "'Keep your paws off. We'll make the split tomorrow.' in the meantime i'll take care of it see hold the flashlight sure sniffed mother margot You are the only honest one in the bunch i know cause little sweeney told me a man's hand dipped into the projecting drawer disappeared nearly up to the elbow and came out again with a fistful of banknotes which he stuffed into his pocket again the man plunged in his hand jimmie dale rose to his feet took a step forward, and halted abruptly as Mother Margot's voice suddenly shrilled out tensely through the silence. "'My God! Listen! What's that? Over by the door!' Jimmy Dale's jaws clamped together as his automatic swung up into line. Strange! He could have sworn he had not made the slightest sound. He saw Limpy Mac step forward a pace and stand facing the doorway, listening intently. And then jimmie dale's face relaxed behind limpy mac's back mother margot's hand shot stealthily into the drawer and a wad of bills disappeared stealthily inside her blouse once more she helped herself with a queer grim droop to the corners of his mouth jimmie dale retreated suddenly back along the hall and a little beyond the head of the stairs mother margot the gods were good There would be more in the night, after all, than the mere salvaging of old Mrs. Kinsey's savings. He had no intention, now, of interrupting the two at their work. Mother Margot had wrought a very drastic change in his plans. "'I don't hear anything,' Limpy Mack's voice growled after a moment. "'What's the matter with you?' "'I guess I'm getting the creeps,' Mother Margot's voice replied. "'I thought I heard something creak, but I guess it was the wind.' "'Hurry up, Limpy. I want to get out this. I'm getting the creeps, that's what the matter with me.' Perhaps another two minutes passed, and then Jimmy Dale, far back along the hall now, heard the footsteps of the two coming from the room. At the head of the stairs they paused, and Limpy Mack spoke gruffly. "'We don't want to take the chance of being seen leaving here together. You're safe enough, because if anyone saw you they'd think you were just a friend of the old dame.' You wait here and give me five minutes, then beat it yourself. And you go straight home. You'll get what's coming to you tomorrow after the Chiefs made the split. We don't meet again tonight unless something breaks, and in that case you know where to find me. Understand? Jimmy Dale smiled quietly in the darkness. He owed Limpy Mac thanks for that, at least. It would save him from following Mother Margot. Sure... "'mocked Mother Margot. "'Cook me a pill in your dump under Sagnat's. "'Why don't you come across with the price of a bunk "'and give the chink a chance once in a while?' "'Limpy Mac, without answer, descended the stairs. "'From the lower hall, faintly, "'there came the soft tap-tap of his rubber-tipped cane. "'Presently the shop door opened and closed gently. "'Jimmy Dale moved silently forward.' He could just distinguish Mother Margot's figure as a dark blur at the head of the stairs. She, too, now began to descend. And then Jimmy Dale spoke. "'I'll keep you company downstairs, Mother Margot,' he said softly, and the flashlight in his hand, stabbing suddenly through the darkness, played its ray upon her. She whirled with a low, terrified cry and put her hands before her blinking eyes as though to ward off a blow.' Who's that? Who's you? she cried out. Go on, Mother Margot, downstairs, jimmie Dale prompted more brusquely. She obeyed in a stumbling, uncertain way. My God, my God, she mumbled wildly. Who are you? A dick? I ain't done nothing. I swear to God I ain't. I swear Quite so, interrupted jimmie Dale, coolly as they reached the lower hall. "'but perhaps you'll come across just the same.' She stared at the hand which had extended significantly in the flashlight's glow, and from under a bedraggled hat whose brim flapped over her straggling grey hair and fell into her eyes, she blinked again. She drew the old threadbare black shawl she wore closer around her shoulders and clutched at it where it met at her neck. "'I dunno what yous mean,' she croaked hoarsely. "'Come across a lot. With what Limpy Mac didn't get, Jimmie Dale was biting off his words now there was somebody at the door, even if you didn't hear him. I can use that money myself that you put inside your blouse, and I'm waiting also. I'm in a hurry. You ain't a dick then she seemed relieved in the sense that rage and fury now supplanted fear. She snarled at him, why didn't you touch Limpy? I look got a dollar or two. I haven't forgotten Limpy, Jimmie Dale answered evenly. His hand was still extended. Quick, he snapped suddenly. For an instant she hesitated. Then, snarling again, she felt inside her blouse and brought out a few crumpled banknotes. Jimmie Dale thrust the money into his pocket and extended his hand again. That's all, she announced tartly. What do you expect? I didn't have no chance. Jimmie Dale smiled thinly. Loosen the waistband of your blouse, he ordered sharply. She glared at him fiercely. I won't she shrilled out. You can go to blazes. I told you that was all I won't. oh yes, I think you will returned Jimmie Dale grimly when I leave you, I am going to call on your friend Limpy Mac, and if I explain the double cross you put over on him, I imagine she changed front instantly. Fear seemed to have her in its grip again. He's won't do that. She was whimpering suddenly. My God, he's won't do that. It depends," said Jimmie Dale. Then take it," she mumbled in a frenzied way, and from the loosened blouse, a small shower of banknotes fluttered to the floor. Jimmie Dale stooped and gathered them up. That's better," he observed coolly. And now we'll go a little further, Mother Margot. I want quite a lot of information first, this limpy Max dump, as she called it on the stairs. does he live there alone? Oh my God, she was wringing her hands together in terror. Youse ain't still going there are you youse Yous ain't going to tell him are you He'd pass the word along, and if the chief got wise, they'd bump me off for this i they'd clean me up before the morning, so I imagined said Jimmie Dale calmly. That's why I refrained from any interference upstairs. You see, Mother Margot, I rather think we've become indispensable to each other. I don't know what you mean," she faltered. "I mean this," said Jimmie Dale coldly, "that if you play straight with me, you are safe in so far as what you put over on your precious pals is concerned. Otherwise," he shrugged his shoulders. "Is it quite plain?" Mother Margot licked her lips feverishly. They cut me throat, she whispered. That's what they do. What do you want? I, I ain't got no chance, have I? We started with Limpy Mac and we'll finish with him first, said jimmie Dale tersely, though you've just mentioned something much more important. Well, does he live alone? Sure he lives alone, Mother Margot answered. He's got the basement. Under completed jimmie dale smoothly all right now the really important matter this chief you mentioned who is he mother margot shook her head i don't know she said you don't know jimmie dale's voice hardened that won't do mother margot i wouldn't advise you to try another trick tonight i ain't she protested wildly honest to god i ain't i don't know She was wringing her hands together again. "'He ain't nobody. He's—' She glanced furtively around her, the act seemingly almost subconscious. "'He's—he's just a voice.' Jimmy Dale studied her for a moment. The woman was evidently too frightened to be anything but truthful. "'Well, go on,' he prodded. "'That's all I knows about him,' said Mother Margot fearfully. "'Just a voice over the telephone, that yous are always wise to—' "'Cause it's a kind of queer, thick voice.' "'Is that the way you get your orders, then?' Mother Margot nodded assent. "'But there isn't any telephone in your room,' said Jimmie Dale sharply. "'I happen to know that you've just moved in where another pal of yours, Mr. Isaac Shiftel, used to live.' Mother Margot swallowed hard. She drew back a little. "'How do you know?' she stammered. "'Never mind. How about that telephone?' it ain't done in the room she said tremulously i didn't know anything about to-night at all then this afternoon when i was with my pushcart down on thompson street i'm called into a store to the telephone and what store where is this telephone jimmie dale interrupted tersely she hesitated oh uh, it's in a booth in the back room of Metzo's second-hand store. if you've got to know she blurted out "'All right,' said Jimmy Dale. "'Go on.' "'Well, I was called to the telephone,' she said, "'and told to go to the Wisteria Café tonight and meet Limpy Mac.' "'And little Sweeney,' added Jimmy Dale quietly. "'Then, abruptly, "'Who else is in this gang?' "'Again Mother Margot shook her head. "'I don't know them all,' she said. "'I guess we don't all know each other neither. "'I only know Limpy Mac and Shiftel.' and a man named laroque but i ain't seen neither of them last two for weeks and i don't know where they've gone little sweeney was a new one on me to-night hmm, observed jimmie dale curtly then who fixed it for you to move into shiftel's rooms the voice she replied readily i was told to go and hand the agent the rent in advance good said jimmie dale pleasantly we're getting on mother margot and since you and I have become such friends, I'm going to take the liberty of calling on you in a day or so. Unless, perhaps, you can tell me how, well, say, a man like Shiftel can get in or out of those rooms without bothering himself with either doors or windows.' She drew still farther back, a startled look and a new terror in her face. "'I know who you are now,' she gasped. "'Little Sweeney and Limpy was talking about you. You are the gray seal my god she wrung her hands don't you come there i'm playing straight with yous i don't know why and i don't know nothing phony about the rooms but i knows that's what they want you to do again jimmie dale studied the dishevelled and distraught figure yes he said quietly so i believe and i believe you are playing straight well we'll leave the rooms in abeyance for the time being i shall always know where to find you on thompson street you may be called to the phone by another voice now one thing more mother margot i don't want to keep limpy Mac waiting what was that paper little sweeney gave limpy Mac in the back room of the mysteria to-night yous, you's know about that too she stared at him in terrified amazement what was it repeated jimmie dale they didn't let me see it she said "'Some sort of dope about the gang, I guess, "'cause little Sweeney was a new man. "'Little Sweeney just says, "'I got it pat,' he says, "'when you answered over. "'I don't know what was in it. "'They didn't let me see it.' "'Perhaps Limpy will be more considerate with me,' "'observed Jimmy Dale dryly. "'He motioned along the hall, "'switched off the flashlight, "'and taking Mother Margot's arm, "'led her into the shop. "'You go home now,' he ordered. "'She hesitated.' his hand still on her arm, he felt her shiver. "'If youse... youse's accruing to Limpy Mack's,' she quavered. "'Youse... youse won't split on me? "'Swear youse won't. "'They... they'd kill me before the morning.' "'You needn't worry,' said Jimmy Dale, gruffly. "'As long as you play straight with me, "'it's as much to my interest as yours "'to see that no harm comes to you. "'You're out of this. "'The only person I know is Limpy Mac whom i saw come out of here alone understand and i followed him because i thought perhaps he had made a little hole that since you have saved me introducing myself the gray seal could use himself my god she was whimpering again i-i am afraid you swear it jimmie dale opened the door and with a precautionary glance up and down the street pushed her not ungently out into the night. I swear it, he said. Good night, Mother Margot. End of chapter five. Chapter six of Jimmie Dale and the Phantom Clue by Frank L. Packard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. The Man with the Rubber-tipped Cane the black silk mask gone from his face, Jimmy Dale too stepped out of Mrs. Kinsey's little shop and hurried away, but in an opposite direction to that taken by Mother Margot, and now he smiled as he went along. Tomorrow, if he had luck, Mrs. Kinsey would get her money back, all of it, say, by registered mail, and accompanied by a suggestion that she would be better advised to use a bank hereafter." A suggestion which fright at the discovery of her loss would probably have the salutary effect of causing her to act upon without loss of time. He hurried on, and ten minutes later, deep in the Chinese quarter in the neighborhood of Chatham Square, in a narrow, crooked, evil-smelling little street, in fact more an alleyway than a thoroughfare, he was strolling past the entrance of a shuttered tea store that bore the sign Sen Yat. Again he smiled a little to himself but now from a different cause. It was quite true that Senyat dealt in tea, but it was equally true that upstairs, behind the shutters, Senyat also specialised in another commodity of the East, and to those who had the price and were safe, the sorry solace of the poppy was always at instant command. An old and unkempt woman, mumbling to herself, shuffled by. A Chinaman, like a rat taking to its hole, Disappeared down a basement entrance from the sidewalk a few yards away. Jimmy Dale turned suddenly. The street for the moment was clear. He retraced his steps to another basement entrance, the one below Sanyat's, and out of the darkness of which, as he had previously passed by, a crack of light seeping from under the door sill had already informed him that Limpy Mac had returned home. And then Jimmy Dale was gone from the street and down the half-dozen steps was crouching in the blackness below the sidewalk at Limpy Mac's door. Again the silk mask was slipped over his face, again his fingers sawed a pocket in the little leather girdle, and the next instant were silently and deftly at work with a picklock. Perhaps a minute passed. Then Jimmie Dale straightened up, swung the door open, and like a flash was inside the room with the door closed behind him. A startled oath greeted his entrance, Limpy Mac, peaked cap drawn over his face, was seated at a table on which burned an oil lamp. His heavy, rubber-tipped cane also lay across the table. He snatched at this now in lieu of a sheaf of banknotes which he let fall from his hands and which he had evidently been engaged in counting, and rose, half-threateningly, half-defensively, to his feet. "'Good evening,' said Jimmy Dale, pleasantly. "'I seem to be in luck tonight.' His automatic indicated the sheaf of notes, and then held on limpy mack jimmie dale's glance swept swiftly critically around the place its furnishings were few and of the crudest a bed in one corner near a second door that conveniently opened on the back yard no doubt a washstand minus one leg and therefore askew that boasted a streaked and badly blistered mirror the table and chair in front of the washstand a dirty unswept floor bare of carpet and that was all the place reeked with filth. "'Nice, quiet little resort you've got here,' smiled Jimmy Dale. His eyes were apparently roving again about the cellar-like room, apparently everywhere save on Limpy Mac. "'I'm sure you—' "'Drop that!' A revolver, almost free from Limpy Mac's pocket, fell with a clatter to the floor. The man screamed out in rage. "'Why, Limpy, that's raw,' said Jimmy Dale in a pained way i didn't think you'd fall for it all i wanted was your gun he advanced to the table and kicked the weapon across the floor under the bed there was a sudden swish through the air as quick without warning limpy mack aimed a blow with his cane at jimmie dale's wrist and automatic it missed again the man screamed out in fury jimmie dale's face set. don't raise your voice again like that he said in flat tones. sit down his automatic swung to the level of the other's eyes with a snarl limpy mac subsided into the chair he scowled at jimmie dale who are you anyway you damned thug he demanded thickly i'll tell you said jimmie dale he was smiling whimsically now not at limpy mac but at the somewhat exacting demands of the situation in which he found himself mother margot must in no way appear in this and besides that money on the table that was the paper that little sweeney had given to limpy mack in mother margot's presence a paper in reference to the contents of which he jimmie dale had acquired an intense curiosity ostensibly therefore he must appear in order that no thought of mother margot might by any chance enter the other's mind to be ignorant of even the existence of the paper and yet at the same time get hold of it i'll tell you said jimmie dale I was walking down a certain street tonight, and I saw you sneak out of a little confectionery store that looked as though it had all been closed up for the night, and I said to myself, That's funny, because Limpy Mac never plays for chicken feed. And then I went and read the sign on the window, and I remembered that everybody said Mrs. Kinsey had a well-filled stocking hidden away somewhere. So I just took a chance, Limpy, thinking that maybe you'd found it, and I followed you as i said before i seem to have played in luck it's a lie growled limpy mack that ain't mrs kinsey's or anybody else's money it's mine i'm delighted to know it murmured jimmie dale but even so i still insist that i'm in luck tonight there must be quite a few thousand here he began to thrust the bills into his pocket limpy Mac sat crouched down in his chair the posture seeming to accentuate almost to deformity, his stooped shoulders. Damn you! he shrieked out. He gnawed at his unkempt grey moustache and flung another oath at Jimmy Dale. Jimmy Dale swept the table clean. It was obviously all that Limpy Mac had stolen from Mrs. Kinsey, for he would obviously have had it all out to count it. But there was still a certain paper in Limpy Mac's pocket. I wonder, since you say it was yours, if you haven't got some more, suggested Jimmy Dale invitingly. "'I'm afraid I'll have to trouble you "'to turn your pockets out, Limpy. "'Stand up.' "'I... I ain't got any more.' "'The man seemed suddenly cowed. "'He crouched still lower in his chair. "'Stand up,' repeated Jimmy Dale sternly. "'I'm quite sure you have.' "'No!' "'Limpy Mac was whining now. "'I'll... I'll tell you the truth. "'I got it where you said. "'But that's all. "'All of it was on the table. "'Say, you believe me, don't you?' i'd come across if i had any more wouldn't i i couldn't help myself the man was blatantly stalling now the paper was-no it wasn't on account of the paper behind limpy mack's back something showed in the blistered mirror the head and shoulders of little sweeney protruding through the rear doorway and in little sweeney's hand a levelled revolver limpy mack's voice had drowned out any sound made by the opening of the door if, indeed, there had been any sound at all. Jimmy Dale's brain was working in lightning flashes now, but not a muscle of his face moved. His automatic, dangling in his hand, was useless. To swing it on the door with only a chance aim would be but a signal for little Sweeney to fire. All right, Limpy, said Jimmy Dale, and leaned slightly towards the end of the table. I'll take your word for it that and then jimmie dale was in action with a sweep of his hand he sent the lamp crashing from the table to the floor and ducked instantly to one side there was a yell from limpy Mac, and in the sudden darkness as the lamp went out from the doorway came the tongue flame of little sweeney's revolver and the roar of the report then a rush of feet the flash and roar of the revolver again and the next instant jimmie dale was locked in a hand-to-hand struggle with little sweeney here and there they swayed the breath of one panting hard on the other's cheek the table toppled to the floor carrying the chair with it their feet crunched on the splintered glass from the lamp and chimney and then suddenly jimmie dale reeled from a terrific blow across the head i got him screamed limpy mack's voice exultantly i got him sweeney i beamed him with the loaded handle of my cane but though dazed lurching scarcely able to keep his feet jimmie dale was still fighting like a wild cat Twice since little Sweeney had grappled with him, he had managed to strike the other with the butt of his automatic. He had only one chance now, to end it quickly. He was too nearly gone himself. He wrenched himself suddenly free, and swung again with all his strength. A gurgling voice, little Sweeney's, answered the blow. Look out, Limpy. Beat it. You know why. That paper. Beat it. I... Again and again, Jimmy Dale brushed his hand across his eyes. He fought desperately to clear his brain. His head was sick and dizzy. What was that sound? That strange, queer sound. Tap, tap, tap. Little Sweeney, that black outline on the floor was Little Sweeney. Little Sweeney wouldn't trouble anyone for an hour or so, but that tap, 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 it sounded from the direction of the rear door. And now it was gone, and there was silence. Just silence but the silence, as nothing else had done, seemed now to penetrate Jimmy Dale's swimming head, and seemed to bring with it a sudden, swift significance. Fool! He stumbled madly toward the rear door. Limpy Mac was gone. Gone with the tap-tap-tapping of his cane. That paper! A clue to that super-crook, perhaps, that the tocsin called the Phantom and Mother Margot called the Voice. He was outside now. No, too late. That was Limpy Mac there, wasn't it? That figure, running! Running! God, how his brain swam! His knees seemed weak under him, as though they were going to double up like the blades of a knife. But he was running too. His surroundings seemed mechanically, subconsciously, to be absorbed. Just a backyard that ended in the black, irregular outline of the rear of what was evidently a three- or four-story tenement. On Jimmy Dale stumbled he could not be more than ten or fifteen yards behind that figure ahead which to his whirling brain seemed to take on the aspect of some grotesque jumping jack bobbing up and down in the darkness until suddenly it disappeared through the back door of the tenement jimmie dale prodded himself into a spurt reached the tenement door found it open and reeled inside his faculties seemed miserably unreliable couldn't he think any more he stood stock-still and again his hand swept fiercely across his eyes. The man couldn't have gone out at the front door, nor have gained the landing above, because he, Jimmy Dale, had been too close at the other's heels, and would have heard him, would be hearing him now. And there was not a sound. Nothing but pitch, inky blackness. Therefore, Limpy Mac must be somewhere here in the blackness. That was better." At least his brain was striving to fight its way back to normal, but his eyes ached brutally. He bit his lips to keep back a groan of pain and leaned against the wall for support. One of them, he or Limpy Mac, must sooner or later make a move. He forced a twisted smile. If the blow from the loaded cane had not proved too much for him after all, it would not be he who made that move. And now, after a time where he had heard no sound before he became conscious of many sounds. The low, indistinct sound of muffled things, the night sounds of a tenanted building filtering vaguely out from behind closed doors, only to integrate themselves in a queer, throbbing way into the very silence itself. How long had he been standing here? Once he clutched frantically, but noiselessly, at the wall to keep himself erect. Perhaps it would not be Limpy Mac who moved first. His brain was swimming in that sick, nauseating way. Perhaps it would be A door began to open cautiously a few yards along the hall, and then a man's head and shoulders, a man with a clean-shaven face and slouch hat showing quite distinctly in the lighted doorway, was thrust out. The man peered around, then from the threshold he whispered back into the room, "'It's a kinch he thought you beat it straight out through the front door and went out after you i'll take a look and if he's still hanging around outside i'll spot him you keep under cover limpy you're safe here anyway i'll be back in ten minutes the man a broad-shouldered well-set-up fellow stepped out into the hall and closed the door behind him his footsteps echoed back as he walked rapidly toward the front of the tenement then the front door opened and closed again the footsteps rang faintly from the pavement without, died away, and Jimmy Dale was standing before the door of the room. He had not heard the door being locked. He was sure of that, in spite of the fact that his head was whirling like a top. His fingers closed silently on the doorknob, and with a swift movement, standing in the hall, his automatic thrown forward, he flung the door wide open. And then for a moment he stood there like a man stunned, the room was empty. No, not empty. Dangling from the gas jet hung Limpy Mack's rubber-tipped cane, and stuck upon the cane, flaunting itself in grim ironical mocking challenge, was a diamond-shaped gray paper seal. A smile of understanding, bitter in its chagrin, flickered across Jimmie Dale's lips. He had stuck a gray seal on the back of Shiftle's hand that night two weeks ago. This one, he was sure, could have come from nowhere else, and if that were so, then Shiftel and Gentleman Laroque and Limpy Mac, and Limpy Mac in still another guise, in the guise of the man who had just tricked him so neatly, were all one. And from that encounter in Shiftel's rooms, and one other encounter long before that at Niccolo Sonino's place, Gentleman Laroque, alias Isaac Shiftel, in the character of Limpy Mac tonight had known that he was dealing with the grey seal from the moment his room under Senyats had been entered. Could not help but have known it. And at the last here, the man, being then disarmed, had had no choice but to resort to his wits as the only means of escape. Yes, he, Jimmy Dale, quite understood. He had sought, and found, and lost again. The Phantom... End of Chapter Six. Chapter Seven of Jimmy Dale and the Phantom Clue by Frank L. Packard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. The message: Days of searching, days of futility, days that had brought no reward. Since the night of Limpy Max's disappearance, there had been only failure. Nowhere had he been able to pick up again a thread or clue that would set him once more upon the Phantom's trail. Until tonight. And tonight? Jimmy Dale shook his head. He was at sea, troubled, about tonight. Threadbare, gaunt-cheeked, dissolute in appearance, his battered old felt hat pulled down over his eyes he was slouching now as smarlinghue with apparent aimlessness along the street past him going to and fro other figures shuffled by for the most part chinamen their crossed hands tucked in the sleeves of their blouses a slumming party from a gape wagon disembarked its load of candidates for initiation into those most dark drear shivery and hidden things of chinatown whose storied mysteries in this more enlightened generation were now within the reach of all for the insignificant sum of one dollar a ticket a twisted smile flickered across jimmie dale's lips this jostling little crowd that was being herded into line now by the stentorian-voiced barker would see many things for the stage was always set they would see most fearsome opium dens that reeked with the sickly, sweetish smell of poppy, where no poppy was. They would see the worshippers at the Shrine of the Thousandth Ancestor. They would see the council chambers where the Tong Wars were declared and most ghastly murders hatched. They would see the Chinamen at their Fantan. And, Jimmy Dale shrugged his shoulders, they would undeniably get their money's worth. It was quite innocent, and everybody would be satisfied. But into Hip-Foo's, for instance, where he was going now, from whose tortuous, bunk-lined, connecting sub-cellars there were two exits, separated one from the other by almost a block, and again from the entrance by an entirely different street. Their tickets would not take them. Hip-Foo made no money from the gape wagons. The scene, though it was still before him, was gone from his consciousness as quickly as the train of thought that had obtruded itself upon him, and his mind was instantly back again now on the note that had been laid beside his plate by one of the attendants at the St James's Club, where he had been dining but little more than half an hour ago. The note had contained a single sentence in the Toxins' writing. Watch Mother Margot at Hipfoose tonight. His lips closed tightly. Was there anything beneath the surface of that one sentence, anything more than its actual wording, anything of a personal nature? He had been turning it over and over in his mind from the moment he had received it, even while he had hurried to the sanctuary, and from a millionaire clubman had become the drug-wrecked Smarlinghue. Even now again, as he walked here along this none-too-well lighted and unsavory street in the heart of New York's Chinatown, The note was like none he had ever received from her before. Here there was no detailed plan laid out, no evident foreknowledge of what was afoot. It seemed almost a call for help, where she herself was helpless. And so, it brought the blood pounding in quicker tempo through his veins, it might well be she had realised, and was prepared at last to accept as inevitable the fact that, whether she would or no, he meant to force his way if it were humanly within his power, into those shadows, as she turned them, with which the phantom had surrounded her. Well, why not? She must know that he had already been in perhaps closer, more intimate touch than even herself with this master criminal of a score of aliases and a score of domiciles, first as Gentleman Laroque, then as Isaac Shiftel, and again as Limpy Mack. And besides, there was a promise that, no he shook his head a little bitterly why should he try to blind his own eyes her promise to call upon him for aid had contained the proviso that it would not identify him as an ally of hers in the phantom's eyes it was a foolish hope fathered only by desire a hope that out of this watching of mother margot tonight at hip he and the woman that he loved would come together again that he would see her hear her voice and after that—yes, she knew that, too. She had said so in the letter she had slipped into the pocket of his coat when she had left him that night on the old East River Wharf. She knew that once he found her again, no legion of phantoms, no pleading on her part, could keep him from her side until the end, whatever that end might be. He might shake his head if he chose, he might argue speciously with himself as his love prompted him to do, but in his heart he knew that her note tonight would not bring her and himself together, unless, yes, that was it, tonight saw the end of the phantom's career. The end. That brought still another angle into the tocsin's message, an angle that was represented by this Mother Margot. His eyes grew grimly thoughtful as he walked along. How far was the old hag to be trusted? How much to be depended upon was the hold he had on her, through having caught her in the act of purloining an extra share of the loot from one of her own confederates, who, though she evidently did not know it herself, had been the phantom, in the guise of Limpy Mac, that night at old Mrs. Kinsey's his hands had been tied in a measure in respect of Mother Margot. True, since that night he had never lost track of her, but his means of communication had been restricted to the same means that the voice, as she called the Phantom, had employed, of calling her from her pushcart in Thompson Street to that telephone booth she had spoken of in Mezzo's second-hand store and questioning her. This he had done each day, sometimes more than once, but the result had always been the same. Each time she had sworn that she had heard nothing further from the voice. And yet tonight she was to be watched at hip foos. Was she playing fast and loose? He had not been in personal touch with her. That was where the weakness of his position lay. She knew him to be the grey seal, but she knew him only as a man with a mask on his face." He could not stand beside her pushcart on Thompson Street and, wearing a mask, talk to her. He could not go to her as Smarlinghue and risk even the suspicion that Smarlinghue had any connection with the Grey Seal, let alone being the Grey Seal himself. A word from her, if that thought ever entered her mind, or anybody else's for that matter, and Underworld and police would join hands in the one cause that could ever be common to both, and fight as only two packs of wolves might fight for the prey that only one could have.' It was not a pleasant thought. He withdrew his hand suddenly from his ragged pockets, and, stooping down, picked up a crumpled newspaper from the gutter as the flaring red type of a headline caught his eye. He glanced at it, and pitched it away again almost immediately. had been interested to know if it were a special edition announcing some new development in the case of one connie pfeffer alias the mole it did not it was just rehash he smiled wryly the gray seal that depraved and degenerate glutton who feasted and lived like some ghoul upon his foul notoriety and who with inhuman boastfulness left his diamond-shaped grey seal upon the scene of every one of his fiendish crimes, end quote. the usual standby of the sensational headliners, had of late been relegated to obscurity by the newspapers. It was a relief. For the time being, the crime that held the public attention was that in which this Connie Pfeffer was involved. But this was more, as a matter of fact, because of the opportunity it afforded for a jeer at the police, rather than on account of the actual crime itself. For two days the journals had been full of the Levinson Bank Robbery, a private bank in the Wall Street District, where a customer, having just drawn out ten thousand dollars in twenty five hundred dollar bills, had been held up almost in front of the teller's wicket at the point of a revolver, and relieved of his cash. Connie Pfeffer, alias the mole who had answered to the description of the robber had been apprehended within an hour of the crime by the police released again for lack of evidence against him and then had promptly disappeared new evidence establishing the fact that connie pfeffer was the man who had entered the bank had almost immediately come to light but connie pfeffer was no longer to be found and the police jimmie dale swung sharply around Someone was plucking at his sleeve, a tattered and stoop-shouldered old man, who had a tray slung around his neck, upon which was displayed a pitiful array of cheap collar buttons. "'Hello, Smarley,' the man spoke low, out of the corner of his mouth. "'Say, Smarley, I want to ask you something.' For an instant, Jimmy Dale surveyed the other. It was Peddler Joe.' and peddler joe lived just around the corner from the sanctuary and was therefore in the category of an old acquaintance and neighbor but his jimmie dale's business tonight was at hip foo's and he had no time to waste hello joe he returned a little ungraciously didn't know you went in for night work there's a gate bus back there and the bunch have gone into charlie wong's layout if you stick around when they come you may get away with something I ain't out for business, not that kind. The man whispered, and still holding Jimmie Dale's coat sleeve, edged out to the curb and halted. I'm looking for someone. Everybody says yours on the level, Smiley. You's bats around a lot in places they won't let me into, so hand it to me straight. Have you seen Connie anywhere? Youse knows who I mean, the Mole. "'Jimmy Dale stared. It was rather curious, rather much of a coincidence. He'd been thinking of Connie Pfeffer, alias the Mole, at the moment Peddler Joe had cossed him. And coincidences in the Badlands were not always coincidences. It was Smarlinghue of the underworld, not Jimmy Dale the millionaire clubman, who spoke. "'What's the lay?' his tones pointed the inquiry with almost exaggerated suspicion oh it's straight the old man answered i'm asking you just that have you seen him or heard anything about him jimmie dale still parried the question sounds like you'd shoved your stake in with the bulls he scowled did they give you a badge to pin inside your vest what have you got to do with connie the old man's face was haggard he evidently had not shaved for several days and the short white bristles seemed to accentuate a general woe-begone aspect and feebleness that age and the thin, stooped shoulders already proclaimed loudly enough. "'I got a lot to do with him,' the old man said hoarsely. "'He's like my own kid, that's what he is. I ain't done much for him, Mabby, but I done what I could to keep him straight. And—'Hugh!' jimmie dale laughed outright peddler joe's life history was written on the police blotters the man had served at least a half dozen sentences in prison true peddler joe in his declining years he must be verging on the seventies now had outwardly at least reformed to the extent of earning his living as a legalized mendicant as witness the collar buttons but as a guardian and sponsor for young morals jimmie dale as smarlinghue grinned viciously. "'Say, it's no wonder he pulled that bank job. He comes by it honestly. Say, what's the—' Jimmy Dale's grin had died away. Something was wrong here. There was something deeper than appeared on the surface, something that he did not understand. The tears had come suddenly into the faded old eyes, and were trickling now down the wrinkled cheeks. "'Forget it, Joe,' Jimmy Dale laid his hand in quick sympathy on the other's shoulder. I didn't mean to hand you nothing. Spill the story, Joe. Only hurry, cause I got a date. I picked him out of the gutter when he could hardly walk, said Butler Joe. And when I wasn't doing spaces up the river, I kept my eyes on him. Sounds like hell from an old lag, don't it? But it's true, Smarley. So help me God, it's true. I wasn't running straight myself but what chance I got I tried to show the kid my line wasn't any good. Only I was away a lot, and I let him down, so it ain't all his fault. There wasn't no one to keep him from going wild when I was doing time, see. He ain't lived with me for years, but that didn't keep him from coming frequent to see me, I'll say that for him. And then his bank job happened. If yous read the papers, yous know he was pinched in my place that afternoon. He blew in to get a little steak from me, and From you? Jimmy Dale interrupted. I didn't know you had loose change to Some days, said the old man simply. I pick up more'n you think. But that ain't nothing to do with it. There was always a few dollars for Connie when he was on his uppers. Well, you know they didn't have anything on him to hold him for the job and they let him go and he beat it and he ain't been seen since commented Jimmy dale judiciously in his role of smiling You, and now someone else comes along and swears too it was him at the bank it's open and shut now that he pulled the job all right and ducked with the cash that's why they're laughing at the police you're wasting your time looking for him he's gone yes said Peddler Joe. He's gone. That's what's the matter. He glanced furtively about him. But he ain't gone the way you think. I don't say now he didn't pull the job, though I didn't think so until last night. And I was handing the police straight goods when they was putting me through, down at the Chief's, the afternoon they put the nippers on Connie at my place. He's gone, "'But he ain't gone the way you think. "'There's something else being pulled besides that. "'Take a look at this.' "'Jimmy Dale leaned forward. Pedler Joe had loosened his collar. "'The man's neck and throat were a mass of ugly bruises, "'discolored, swollen, "'fingerprinted in angry, purplish blotches. "'Good God!' muttered Jimmy Dale. "'How'd you get that?' "'It was last night.' Butler Joe again glanced furtively around him as he rearranged his collar. "'They nearly bumped me off before they was satisfied that I didn't know any more'n what i told the police. They wanted to know where the cash was, the ten thousand bucks that Connie stole. That's what they did to me, and that's why I'm asking yous if yous have seen or heard anything of Connie.' Jimmy Dale's lips had tightened. "'You think,' He said slowly. They had tried the same game with Connie, and that's why he's... disappeared? You mean, you've doped it out that they hadn't been able to make him talk up to last night, and that they tried you, then, on a chance? The old man nodded. Sure, they got him, he said miserably. They got him cold. That's what makes me think now that Connie pulled the job all right, "'cause they're wise to him.' "'Yes,' said Jimmy Dale. "'But who was it that laid you out?' "'I ain't that sure,' said Pedlar Joe. "'I woke up last night in bed "'with a pair of hands round my throat, choking me. "'It was pretty dark in the room. "'There was two of them, "'and I wasn't sure, and I ain't sure now, "'but I thought one of them, the little fellow, "'was Bunty Myers.' Who used to travel with gentleman laroque's gang gentleman laroque the phantom jimmie dale was fumbling aimlessly with the brim of his battered old felt head mother margot hip foos the phantom and connie pfeffer alias the mole was this what was at the bottom of the tocsin's note intuitively he was instantly sure of it it dovetailed perfectly the Phantom was not likely to be playing two games tonight, therefore...« Padler Joe was whispering hoarsely again. You'se are on the level, Somali, and on the inside everywhere. I... I thought maybe you'se helped me. And if you's heard anything or saw anything, you'se tipped me off.' Jimmy Dale held out his hand. "'Sure, I will, Joe,' he said. He leaned closer to the other. You keep your map closed about having spoken to me, see? I know Bunty Myers. I'll do my best for you. Thanks, Marley, said the old man gratefully. I knew youse would. Sure, said Jimmy Dale again. Well, that goes. And so long, Joe. He turned and slouched on again down the street. His face was impassive, but his hands in his pockets were clenched now so the phantom's hand was in this too was it and the old broken figure with the tray of collar buttons slung around his neck was one of the victims it brought the hot anger surging upon him there was something that struck deep to the root of his sympathy something pathetic in the queer strange loyalty the curious love that old peddler joe himself a thief by profession in the days gone by held for the gutter snipe that he'd tried and failed to bring up in the paths of virtue the phantom well perhaps tonight, if at hip foos there was jimmie dale turned the corner and halted suddenly in a dazed stunned way as at the door of charlie Wong's back there on the other street a wagon was drawn up here at the curb in front of hip foos and little crowd was disembarking from the wagon and was being marshalled into line But it was not a gape-wagon that stood at Hip-Foo's front door. It was a wagon of quite a different sort. A police van. And then, in an instant, his wits at work again after the first shock of surprise, Jimmy Dale slouched back out of sight around the corner again. Here he broke into a run. A raid. Hip-Foo's was being raided. Jimmy Dale ran on at top speed. His chances were just even, that was all. There were two exits, a block apart. He could not watch both at once. Which one would Mother Margot use? The police would not get her, nor any of those with her. The police would gather in a few Chinese attendants, who would be as phlegmatic and informative as so many cows. The police would collect a little opium-smoking paraphernalia, and hip-foo would be fined. But that would be all. Before the first blue coat crossed the threshold of the entrance, the exodus through the cellars would have begun. And now Jimmy Dale drew into the shadows at the mouth of a dark and narrow lane. It was the toss of a coin. This one or the other. Yes, here they came now, like rats running from a sinking ship. He crouched against the wall unnoticed, or, if noticed, accepted as one of their own ilk, and watched them. Man after man, woman after woman, passed out into the street. The procession dwindled to a few belated stragglers and ceased. He waited a minute longer. There was no one else. Tight-lipped then, Jimmy Dale turned away. Mother Margot had not been amongst them. He had lost the toss, that was all. She had gone out the other way. He walked rapidly now. There was only one thing left to do, one way left open to him. It would not be very difficult to find Mother Margot at her home, in those rooms from which, on that first night, the phantom had so mysteriously disappeared. He had even promised her a visit. He smiled a little grimly. His promise so far had been unfulfilled. Not because the tocsin had warned him that the place was a trap, and even Mother Margot, evidently terror-stricken that night at Mrs. Kinsey's, had done likewise. But because prior to that warning, and prior to Mother Margot's occupancy of the rooms, he had already searched the premises and found nothing. And because, until now, it had not seemed that there was anything to be gained by a move which might result in warning the phantom that he, Jimmy Dale, had been in communication with Mother Margot." but tonight there was no choice but to go there. Unless, perhaps, she'd gone back to her pushcart in Thompson Street. He would try that first, and if she were there, call her to the phone as he always did, and arrange a meeting somewhere, under conditions such that she would discover no more of his actual identity than that of the man in the mask whom she already knew as the grey seal. He was hurrying now time as measured in minutes might or might not be precious he did not know what had taken place at hip Foo's, whether for instance the rendezvous that mother margot had presumably had there had been prematurely interrupted by the raid or what were the details of the scheme the phantom was hatching he did not know but in any case one thing was vital not only to himself but to the tocsin vital to all he hoped for that the character of Smarlinghue should not be endangered. And this, not only because it was in itself the key that opened for him the innermost portals of the underworld, that again and again had alone stood between him and recognition as the grey seal, but because tonight he must meet Mother Margot, not as Smarlinghue, but in the only character that she would recognize, and yes, the grim smile came again, obey, And so, first of all, must come the sanctuary. After that, his shoulders under the red coat lifted in a queer, almost fatalistic little shrug. Who knew? End of chapter 7 Chapter 8 of Jimmy Dale and the Phantom Clue by Frank L. Packett this LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon. Jimmie Dale pays a visit. It was Spaulding you, the drug-wrecked artist, who, ten minutes later, by the street entrance, inviting even the nods of recognition from some of the loungers round about, entered the dingy tenement and scuffled along the musty, dark, unlighted hallway to the squalid rear room on the ground floor, the sanctuary it was jimmie dale in dinner jacket the millionaire clubman who stealthily gained the street again by way of the old french window the refuse-strewn courtyard the board in the high fence that swung aside at the touch and finally the lane another ten minutes and he was sauntering nonchalantly along a narrow crowded street whose curbs were lined with pushcarts whose sidewalks were thronged with shawled women and coatless swarthy men whose gutters were the playground for almost naked children. Thompson Street was in the heart of New York, just off West Broadway, not far from the homes of the old-time aristocracy of Washington Square. But it was also in a foreign land. But Mother Margot, with her pushcart, was not here tonight. He had hardly expected she would be. His face was set as he made his way back now to the Bowery, and from there headed still deeper into the east side. There was nothing for it now but Mother Margot's rooms. A few blocks farther brought him within sight of the tenement that was his destination, and his pace slowed as he passed the narrow alleyway over which the police had kept a of guard on the night they had pounded at Isaac Shiftel's door inside. There was a light in the window, the same window through which he and the Phantom, alias Isaac Shiftel, or perhaps better on that occasion, alias Gentleman Laroque, had first had warning that the police were without. Mother Margot, then, had presumably returned home. He was opposite the tenement door now. He halted abruptly, ostensibly to watch the efforts of a man across the road who was attempting to start an old car that was backfiring viciously, in reality to allow some nearby pedestrians to pass by. And then suddenly Jimmy Dale had disappeared from the street, and in another instant in the dark, murky hall, was standing before Mother Margot's door. From one of the pockets in the leather girdle beneath his outer garments that harbored too its little blue-steeled burglar's kit, he took out his black silk mask and slipped it over his face. His lips tightened a little as his right hand closed over the automatic in the side pocket of his dinner jacket. Who knew? There was a light in there that was true but he was not necessarily sure that it was Mother Margot, or that Mother Margot was alone. He knocked upon the door. There was no answer. He knocked again. This time there came the sound of a shuffling footstep crossing the floor within, and then the door was cautiously opened, and Mother Margot, holding a candle above her head, peered out into the hallway. "'My God! Yous!' she whispered hoarsely. "'What are you doing here?' "'Jimmy Dale smiled beneath his mask. "'Have you forgotten, Mother Margot?' he said softly. "'I promised you a visit, you know.' He stepped forward, but she blocked his way at the threshold. "'Go away! Go away from here!' she breathed wildly. "'I don't see why I should just yet,' said Jimmy Dale quietly. "'And wouldn't it be better if we had our interview inside instead of out here? It wouldn't be quite so public.' "'No!' she said frantically. She kept glancing behind her, over her shoulder, in a terrified way. "'Ah, go away! For the love of God, go away before we gets caught!' "'Who's in there, then?' demanded Jimmy Dale sharply. "'No one,' she answered. "'There ain't no one there. At least I don't know whether there is or not.' Jimmy Dale stared at the old hag for a moment, speculatively. "'You don't know?' He injected a caustic note into his voice. What do you mean by that? Didn't I tell you the other night? She was still whispering hoarsely. Didn't I tell you what they said? That they was figuring on yous coming here sometime? That's what I means. I ain't never seen no one in here but me, but sometimes I'm scared. Sometimes I'm sure someone is watching me, and, and I can't see no one. Don't you see I'm playing straight with yous? i wasn't i'd let you in and ah, oh, my god get away from here if i'm caught tipping youse off they'd put a knife into me that's what they do we'll be less likely to be seen or caught without that light then said jimmie dale coolly he leant forward suddenly caught her arm and blew the candle out now don't move he was past her in an instant and with quick silent tread his step as noiseless as though he possessed the padded paws of a cat he made the circuit of the two rooms, and then he was back again beside her at the threshold. The rooms, so far as any outward, and visible evidence of human presence was concerned, were empty. Nevertheless, he drew Mother Margot out into the dark hallway now, and closed the door silently behind them. "'What is it?' she faltered. "'What is it youse once?" "'A little information. Perhaps a little more than information,' said Jimmy Dale evenly. You said something a minute ago about playing straight with me. I'm not so sure about you, Mother Margot. That's why I'm here. I telephoned you this morning, and you swore you had not heard from the voice since that night at Mrs. Kinsey's.' "'It was the truth,' she said quickly. "'I'm so glad you always tell the truth,' he said tersely. "'Because then, of course, you'll tell me now all about hip foos tonight.' She drew in her breath sharply. My God," she stammered. you he knows about that. Go on, Mother Margot," Jimmie Dale prompted curtly. "There, there ain't nothing to tell." She was obviously groping for inspiration. The bulls raided the place almost as soon as I got there, and I beat it on the jump for home. Don't lie," snapped Jimmie Dale sternly. "There is a good deal to tell. Shall I help your memory?" He was quite sure of his ground. Padler Joe's story made the Phantoms and Bunty Myers' connection with the night's work a practical certainty. Don't you think Bunty Myers and Connie Pfeffer's ten thousand is worth telling about, Mother Margot? The shot went home. The old hag shrank back against the wall. He heard her mumbling incoherently. I'm waiting, said Jimmy Dale coldly. I... I can't, she burst out. I... I dare... I think you can," Jimmie Dale answered sharply, "and I'm sure that it will be much the safer thing for you to do. As a last resort, for instance, if you forced my hand, the police might be very much interested to learn that Mother Margot knew something about the Levenson bank robbery. And I—I I tell you," she broke in. "My God, what can I do? What else can I do? I—I'll come across. When you telephoned me today, I hadn't heard nothing." It was only about six o'clock that the voice told me to take the message over to Hipfoo's and be there by half-past eight. See? There wasn't no way I could tell yous, was there? I ain't the only one that don't know where the Grey Seal lives, am I? No, said Jimmie Dale, evenly, and will dispense with any discussion as to what you would have done if you had known. Go on. It was to meet Bunty Myers and another of Gentleman Laroque's gang, named Muller. Mother Margot's whisper was scarcely audible. "'And... and it was about Connie Pfeffer, all right. I was to tell him that Connie had seen the error of his ways and opened up, and that the coin was in the house with the broken stairs, and shoved in under one of them.' She paused, and in the semi-darkness Jimmy Dale could see her jerking her head in a queer bird-like way furtively about her. "'What's its other name?' demanded Jimmy Dale shortly. She looked at him, puzzled. "'The other name of what?' "'The house with the broken stairs.' Jimmy Dale's tones were uncompromising. "'Why, it's Peddler Joe's, of course,' she answered. Who knows where that is. Everybody does.' "'Peddler Joe!' For a moment Jimmy Dale stared at her. Was Peddler Joe, too, playing a game? The figure of the old man, full of misery from what seemed genuine distress and fear, rose before him. But against this was Peddler Joe's record. Was this the way he had brought up his young protégé to play in with him, hand and glove? And yet those bruises on the man's neck and throat, they were genuine enough. Again Jimmy Dale lunged in the dark and won. Peddler Joe had nothing to do with it, he snapped. Don't try any holding out on me, Mother Margot. I ain't holding out nothing on you, she protested. I didn't say Pedlar Joe was in it. Connie beat it for Joe's after putting the robbery at the bank that day, so's to work up an alibi, you see? But the Bulls pinched him quicker than he figured. He hears them coming while he's there, see? And when Pedlar Joe ain't looking, he shoves the envelope with the cash in under one of the broken stairs. And when the Bulls bust in, they don't find nothing. And they ain't got nothing on Connie. And after putting him through for a few hours down at headquarters, they has to let him go. Jimmy Dale nodded exactly he said tersely and the reason he didn't go back for the money was because he never got a chance your gang got him and started in to apply less humane but evidently more effective measures to make him talk than the police did mother margot drew in her breath i guess yous knowed the whole lay my god yous ain't human are yous there's hip foos suggested jimmie dale grimly "Yes." she mumbled. "'But there ain't nothing much to that now, you knows the rest. I just give em the message when the bulls started the raid and we beat it. They're to go down there after Jokes gets to sleep, and pinch the dough, that's all.' "'Not quite,' said Jimmy Dale. "'There's Connie Pfeffer. Did they go the limit with him? Is he dead?' Mother Margot shook her head. "'No, he ain't. Not quite.' you will be all right after a while, but I guess he'd just come through with the dope in time. Him and one of Laroque's men that's supposed to be a man-nurse in charge of an inflancy is on their way west for somewhere now. That gets Connie out of here, so as he don't get a chance to butt in and spill anything to Petler Joe or some other pal that'd help him out. And besides, it's a kind of a stake they're giving him, so as the bulls won't bother him no more. Again Jimmy Dale was silent for a moment. It was clear-cut, wasn't it, the work that was ahead now? There was no choice, was there? There was only one thing to do. He could not go to a telephone, say, and tip the police off to the hiding place of the money, for the fact that it would be found in Paddler Joe's would convict Paddler Joe as an accomplice. The man, innocent though he was, would not have a chance. His known intimacy with the mole, and the fact that Connie Pfeffer had been found there shortly after the robbery both of which reasons had already resulted in a grilling for the old man from the authorities. And, above all, Paddle Joe's own record would... "'All right,' said Jimmy Dale abruptly. "'Let's go.' "'Go?' Mother Margot crouched back against the wall. "'Go where?' "'To Paddle Joe's,' said Jimmy Dale curtly. "'Me?' she flung out her arms wildly. "'Me? Go there?' Ah, oh, my God! Not that! If they caught me, they'd they'd croak me. I don't dare. My God, I don't dare. They'd kill me. I've told you's all I knows. youse ain't got no use for me there. Oh yes, I think I have," said Jimmie Dale coolly. I'd feel a little more comfortable if I knew where Mother Margot was and what she was doing during the next half hour. But, but you's can trust me," she faltered. Possibly," admitted Jimmie Dale evenly but not to the extent of staking my life on it. It would be rather awkward for me if you communicated with the voice, say, while I was... No, no, I swear I won't, she whispered frantically. Oh, for God's sake, don't make me do that. If they seize me, if they catches me, they'll know I snitched, and they'll twist me throat and put a knife into me. It was quite true. If caught under any such circumstances, mother margot's life would not be worth a moment's purchase but then mother margot would not be caught bunty myers and whoever was to accompany him were not to go there until late tonight not until they would expect peddler joe to be in bed and asleep that at the present moment peddler joe was out roaming miserably about the streets in his hopeless search the place would be empty there would be no risk for mother margot and he jimmie dale was certainly by no means sure enough of her to leave her free to communicate with her confederates and trap him like a rat if she chose to do so. "'They won't catch you,' his tones were peremptory now. "'You go ahead. I'll follow, where I can keep my eye on you. I can't very well walk through the streets with a mask on my face, and I would a little rather prefer, Mother Margot, that all you saw was a mask. And besides, it might be just as well for your sake that you should not be seen in company with anyone.' You say you know Pedler Joe's place? Well, so do I. When you turn into the wagon drive, I'll join you. Now, then. Again she shrank back. No, no, she pleaded. Uh, I'm scared. You don't know what you doing. He's going to get me killed, that's what it means. I don't want to make any noise that might be heard back there in your room by the unseen watcher that you appear to be so much afraid of, he said coldly, but you're either going with me or it is going to be a showdown right here, Mother Margot. You understand? He caught her by the arm and pushed her toward the front door. Now go! She moved forward along the hall. He could see her wringing her hands. My God! she whispered, and again, my God! End of chapter 8 Chapter 9 of Jimmy Dale and the Phantom Clue by Frank L. Packard This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Anna Simon The House with the Broken Stairs Mother Margot passed out through the door. Jimmy Dale, a few paces behind, removed his mask as he stepped out to the sidewalk. He crossed instantly to the other side of the road, and, keeping pace with her, followed her as she shuffled down the street. He was smiling grimly now, the Phantom apparently was becoming cautious, in a personal sense. As Gentleman Le as Isaac Shifter, as Limpy Mac, the man had but narrowly escaped. Tonight, it seemed fairly obvious, he was playing a safer game by delegating the actual work to the members of his old gang, over whom he evidently still preserved his authority. Jimmy Dale's smile gave place to tight, set lips. It was a compliment, in a way, and a very genuine compliment, to him jimmie dale. But if there was no phantom tonight, no chance at the man in that personal way, then equally there would be no tocsin tonight either at the end of the quest. He went on down the street, following the shawled figure of the old hag. Why dwell on that? What good would it do? What would it bring him? Some night, some time, it would be the last night, and the last time, and there would be the end. Meanwhile, tonight at least, he could checkmate the Phantom's game. His thoughts swept back to the immediate present. Something struck him for the moment as incongruous, out of keeping, a little illogical, in view of the open brutality they had dealt out to peddler Joe last night when they had not hesitated to break into the old man's house. That tonight the Phantom had switched his tactics to those of almost exaggerated stealth. And then he shook his head. No, it was far from illogical he saw it now. He owed the Phantom a compliment in return. Mentally he paid it. The man had a sort of super-cunning and cleverness cradled in his devil's brain. Peddler Joe knew nothing. Peddler Joe would continue to know nothing. Connie Pfeffer's lips were sealed unless to confess his own guilt. And so the disappearance of the money would remain a mystery. That was all. The shawled figure on the opposite side shuffled on. It was not far now to Pettler Joe's. He followed her across the Bowery, down a side street again, past the sanctuary, and around the next corner. Here he closed the gap between them, crossing to her side of the street, and as she disappeared into the blackness of a sort of arched driveway, he joined her. He slipped the mask over his face again and took her arm. "'Come on!' he whispered. The driveway was a wretched, dirty place, once used, no doubt, for a delivery wagon, when the store in front had been in its prime. Now it was Peddler Joe's entrance to his domain, which, in turn, had once been an outhouse of some kind, perhaps even the stable or wagon shed, a miserable little wooden shack, neglected now and in hopeless disrepair. Jimmy Dale, still holding Mother Margot's arm, emerged from the driveway, crossed the small yard beyond, and halted at the door of the hovel. It was dark here, nothing showed but the looming shadows of the surrounding buildings mother margot was whimpering again pedler joe pedler joe'll see me and then pedler joe is out said jimmie dale crisply there's no one inside you won't get into any trouble mother margot unless you make it yourself i'll see to that the door was locked from the leather girdle jimmie dale selected a picklock a moment two passed the slim sensitive fingers of jimmie dale that mocked at even the intricate locks and bolts devised by modern ingenuity were working quickly almost contemptuously now at Padlet joe's cheap flimsy fastening the door swung open jimmie dale motioned mother margot to enter and following closed and locked the door again behind them for an instant he stood motionless then his flashlight swept the interior, lancing the blackness with its round white ray. The place was one of utter poverty-stricken desolation. There was but a single room, with no furniture in it save an old table and chair. The floor sagged and had rotted away in places. Even a window was lacking, for where one once had been, it was now, in lieu of broken panes no doubt, nailed up with boards and now the flashlight focused and held on a flight of stairs obliquely across from the door and on the far side of the room. Mother Margot had called the place the House with the Broken Stairs, and it was well named. Half a dozen of the treads, at least, were broken away, and were little more now than so many gaping holes, and for the rest the whole staircase leant drunkenly to one side as though scarcely able any longer to sustain its own weight let alone the added burden of any one desirous of reaching the floor above. Whereabouts in the stairs is it? Jimmie Dale demanded abruptly. Mother Margot was crouched close against the door in a frightened attitude. She shook her head. I dunno," she answered. "I wish to God I did, so's we could get out of here quick. It's in one of them holes in the stairs. Connie said he didn't remember which one, cause he had to act on the jump. He heard the bulls comin', and Pella Joe was upstairs and he said he hadn't time to figure anything except to get the cash out of sight. All right, said Jimmy Dale quietly. It doesn't much matter. We'll begin at the beginning. He moved across the room, and with his flashlight began his search under the broken stair treads. But it was not until the fourth attempt that his hand, in under a tread, up to the elbow, encountered a sealed envelope. He drew it out quickly and tore the end open. Yes, here it was. He took out the money and counted it rapidly. Twenty-five-hundred-dollar banknotes. It was all here. Ten thousand dollars. He thrust the money into his pocket and laid the empty envelope on the stair beside him. "'It's all right, Mother Margot,' he called softly. "'We'll go in a minute.' From another pocket in the leather girdle he drew out now the thin metallic case that contained its store of diamond-shaped grey paper seals, and with the tiny tweezers, that there might be no tell-tale fingerprints, lifted out one of the seals and moistened the adhesive side with his lips. There was Peddler Joe to be considered. Peddler Joe must not be held accountable by the Phantom any more than by the police. He picked up the empty envelope and pressed the grey seal firmly down upon it. When Benty Myers and his fellow thugs arrived and found the money gone, Peddler Joe would naturally be the first one they would think of, and their former suspicions that the old man knew more than he pretended would be aroused again with disastrous results for Padlejo. joe. But the grey seal here on the envelope would square Padlejo joe and settle all doubts on that score. The phantom, for instance, was fully... Mother Margot's whisper cut tensely suddenly through the room. "'They're coming! They're coming! Ah, oh, for God's sake, they're coming! And there ain't no way to get out!' In an instant, Jimmie Dale was across the room beside her. He caught her wrist fiercely. "I told you so," she was crooning in a queer, low way. They'll kill me for this. Keep quiet, breathed Jimmie Dale, cool, possessed, motionless. He stood there. Mother Margot was right; he could hear the footsteps of three or four men close to the door outside. There was no way out. They were trapped and Mother Margot the door rattled as it was tried a voice in a low callous laugh reached him through the panels it's a good thing youse piped old peddler down the line bunty it saved us wasting the night hanging around waiting for him to hit the hay and then another voice impatiently ah get the door open what's he playing with the lock bust it in and strike a light you don't have to be careful of the noise when peddler ain't there mother margot there was a chance just one not for both of them perhaps but for Mother Margot. He owed it to her. He had brought her here, to her death, if the chance failed. He leaned toward her, his lips close against her ear. Flatten back here against the wall. The door opens away from you. Don't move till they make a rush, then slip through the door behind them and get to the street. I'll guarantee at least that no one will follow you, and with a little luck you won't be seen at all. But use. A strange note that had come suddenly into her voice. "'But youse youse mean that never mind what I mean,' said Jimmy Dale, between set teeth. "'Do as I tell you, or neither of us will get out.' The door lock yielded with a little snap, but Jimmy Dale was no longer there. Silent as a shadow in his movements, he was already halfway up the stairs. He halted here, He was still holding the envelope with its grey seal, but instead of his flashlight his automatic now was in his other hand. And then, for the first time, Jimmy Dale made a sound, at the moment that the door swung open. It was as though, suddenly alarmed, he had tripped and fallen upon the rickety stairs. There was a chorus of startled oaths, a rush of feet across the floor in his direction, the white gleam of a flashlight thrown upon him, the chorus shouts again, and he turned, dropping the envelope from his hand and as it fluttered downward to the floor he dashed madly up the stairs came the crash and roar of a revolver shot the spurt of flame the ugly spat of a bullet as it embedded itself in the woodwork somewhere above his head another and still another but jimmie dale did not fire in return there was mother margot they had not noticed her and she should be gone by now but he could not see he dared not take the chance of any of them running back for cover in the direction of the door just a few seconds more and then He flung himself over the topmost stair. Yes, it was safe now, surely, to check their rush if he could. He fired, his shot directed high over their heads. Snarls and curses answered him. The flashlights, more than one of them now, made almost daylight of the place. And suddenly a new shout went up. Someone had picked up the envelope. "'The grey seal!' A hail of lead came up the staircase, and a concerted rush of dark, swarming figures. He could not tell how many three or four, but it seemed as though there were a dozen. The window. There must be a window here. He remembered that pedlar Joe had spoken of a window. Yes, there it was, just across from the stairhead. He hurled himself toward it, flung it open, and swung out over the sill. It could not be very high. In any case, it was the only chance. A flashlight's ray caught him now from the head of the stairs, and was accompanied almost simultaneously by an oath and the tongue-flame of a revolver. He let go his hold and dropped. Something A heap of rubbish, an uneven surface, threw him violently upon his face as he landed. But an instant he was on his feet again. There was no way out of the place except across the yard and through the archway, and he raced in that direction. He heard a shout signaling his whereabouts from the window. It was echoed by shouts from within. If he could but gain the street before they poured out of the shack in pursuit! No, here they came now. Over his shoulder he caught a glimpse of shadowy forms behind him. He had a start of ten yards, perhaps fifteen, at the outside he swerved out into the street. Strange the commotion back there had not aroused the neighbourhood, but it would not take long to do so now if the chase remained in the open. "'The grey seal! Get him! Stop him!' The shouts, the pound of feet, rang from behind him. But now a queer, half-choked, panting laugh came grimly from Jimmy Dale as a dark shawled figure peered suddenly out from a doorway and drew back again as he dashed by. "'Mother Margot!' Well, at least, he'd kept his promise to Mother Margot. And now windows began to open, people to emerge from the houses. The pound of feet, the shouts, seemed to grow even nearer. Jimmy Dale was straining every muscle now, running like a deer. Another few minutes of this in the open and it would be the end. Thank God the sanctuary was just around the corner. If he had ever needed it in his life, he needed it now. They might see him enter the tenement, by the time they had been able to search the place even cursorily the grey seal would have vanished and only smarling of the underworld the drug-wrecked peer of that inglorious realm to which they themselves belonged would be found he turned the corner ran on the few yards up the block to the sanctuary and as he flung himself inside the tenement door he saw them swing into the street behind him and heard them like a pack of bloodhounds give tongue again at sight of their quarry but in a second now he was along the dark hallway and inside the sanctuary itself the door locked behind him and now he worked with lightning speed he could have run on out through the french window and by the lane perhaps might have had a fair chance of getting away but almost as important as his life was the vital necessity of protecting the character of smarlinghue from suspicion and the grey seal making straight for smarlinghue's room and disappearing thereby marked an intimacy in time of stress with Smarlinghue's habitation. Too significant to go unchallenged. He tore off his evening clothes, wrenched open the movable section of the baseboard, brought out the seedy, tattered garments of Smarlinghue, and put them on. He needed no light. Only a few more precious seconds. They were stumbling around outside in the hall now, and now he could hear them break into one of the other rooms. Just a few more seconds. That was all he needed, there were still the little pieces of wax that distorted lips and nostrils that gave a peculiar set to cheeks and ears. Still the facial solution to give the gaunt, pallor-like effect that's smiling you. Cold beads of sweat stood out suddenly on Jimmy Dale's forehead. His mask as he pulled it off was sticky. His hand as he put it to his face came away wet. No, there was no need for light. He knew. It was blood. His face has been bruised and cut when he'd fallen from the window. No makeup, up no clothes, no smarlinghue would explain that. They were coming to his door now, weren't they? His wits, if he had ever possessed any. A chance for his life. And smarlinghue's. The wax went into the nostrils, under the lips, behind the ears, inside the cheeks. There was no need for pallor on blood-stained skin. And the mask was over his face again. A footstep was almost at the door. And then not jimmie dale but smarlinghue spoke help help he cried in a strange gurgling strangled voice help let me alone help he loosened the catch on the inside of the french window but without opening the window itself then seizing a chair he hurled it over his head in the direction of the easels and canvases that stood against the far wall it was an answering crash he scuffled with his feet, as he flung the evening clothes he had just taken off, saving out only his hat, which he put on, into the hiding-place, and put back the movable section of the baseboard again. Another instant, and he had sent the table in the centre of the room hurtling to the floor, and had sprung, silently now, to the door. They were pounding upon it, flinging themselves against it, in an effort to break it in. In the darkness of the hall they would not be able to distinguish clothes. If they followed him, then, with luck, he might still save both himself and smarlinghue if they didn't then-well it was the end he turned the key with a sudden twist of his fingers and swept the door open dark forms loomed before him he struck right and left with all his body weight behind his blows cleaving a passage for himself as he plunged forward a volley of furious oaths greeted the unexpected attack hands snatched at him he broke from their clutches as they tried to grasp him and sped down the hall Yes, they were following. Thank God they were following. It was only a step from the street door to the lane, and in barely the fraction of a second he had gained the letter, leaving his head behind him on the sidewalk as though it had been swept from his head in his flight. In another second he was through the board in the fence that swung aside at the touch of his hand and was creeping along the rear of the tenement to the French window of the sanctuary. An instant here he listened as he slipped the mask from his face. Then the French window opened and closed silently again and Smarlinghue, with battered, blood-stained face, lay prone and motionless upon the floor, amidst the debris and ruin of his squalid room. A minute passed. Two. Fellow tenants began to gather at the doorway, and finally to crowd into the room. The poverty-stricken gas-jet hissed as someone lighted it, and threw a pale, yellow, inadequate light over the surroundings. Jimmy Dale felt someone grasp him by the shoulders and lift him to a sitting posture. He rubbed his hand across his eyes and stared dazedly around him. Then, suddenly, he seemed to rouse himself. He shook his fist wildly. "'Get the police!' he croaked hoarsely, as he recognised as Bunty Myers a man who was elbowing his way forward. "'Get the police! I want the police! Someone bust in here and said if I made a peep, he'd lay me out. I, I was scared for a minute, maybe two, and then I—I I started something.' "'Sure, you look it,' snapped Bunty Myers. He swung fiercely on the little crowd and brushed them back to the doorway. "'Get out of here,' he snarled. "'This ain't your hunt,' he turned again to Jimmy Dale. "'Blast you, Smiley,' he swore. "'I ain't blaming yous, but if yous kept quiet, we'd have had him cornered cold. He's got away now, down the lane,' he lowered his voice. "'What I come back for was to find out if yous got a better look at him.' and some of the boys with me, on account of his mask, and if you'd know him again, if you saw him. Jimmy Dale shook his head. "'No, I didn't get no look at him,' he said viciously. "'But I'll have the police on him, and—' "'The police?' Bunty Myers' laugh was forced, unmirthful. "'The police'll be a long time finding that bird. Youse can take it from me. Say, he's give me the pips, Marley. That was the gray seal.' jimmie dale's jaw dropped he stared helplessly my god gasped jimmie dale the gray seal him and he was still staring in a dazed and helpless way about him as bunty myers swung hurriedly from the room again presumably to join his companions in their search along the lane chapter nine